This is episode two in our four-part series on mental health. Last time, we heard from Mark Metry on social anxiety. Today, our topic is trauma. Now, there's nothing graphic in this conversation, but it is much more heavy than our typical interview. It's different from any other podcast I've done, that's for sure. Now, what images come to mind when you hear the word trauma? War, betrayal, divorce, untimely death, racism, we've all been affected by trauma, but we haven't all dealt with it. And if we're going to lead and live from a place of health, we need to go here. Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and today's episode is messy and ridiculously important. Dr. Melissa Wasserman, or Dr. Melly as she's known by her clients, is a licensed clinical psychologist and professor at Pepperdine University, where she teaches master's level psychology students. Now, Dr. Melly specializes in traumatic stress, war-related trauma, sexual trauma, traumatic loss, and how all of these experiences impact interpersonal relationships. We barely scratch the surface of all she has to offer in this conversation. So let's jump into it and hear how Dr. Melly slowed me down so we all could be in the right frame of mind for this topic. So even before we dive on into defining the terms, I just kind of want to take a moment and just honor and acknowledge that maybe some of the things that we're going to be talking about today, uh, we have reactions to, right? Because we're humans, we don't live in vacuums. We all have our own uh, triggers and reminders of maybe things that have happened to us in our lives. So kind of just taking a minute and checking in with yourself, right? Both um, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? But also maybe the physiological sensations or the physical body sensations that are running through my body right now. And just noticing when and if there is discomfort and of course, taking the steps uh, to practice coping or self-care, or whatever is helpful in nourishing um, and nourishing us kind of as we go through today. Uh, it's always a really useful tool in life, but also when we're talking about difficult things to just monitor, check in, uh, with your body, with yourself, with emotions, with what's running through our mind, um, and ground yourself in the present moment. Uh, some maybe maybe we're taking some deep breaths, or maybe we're practicing other types of coping that's useful and helpful for us. That's good. It's a good reminder. Maybe even let's just take a deep breath right now together, right? <laughs> As we set that stage, you know, maybe place your feet on the ground and just take a deep breath notice what happens in our bodies when we when we do that. So in thinking about, you know, defining this this term, um, trauma is a loaded term, right? And sometimes when we're talking about trauma, right, maybe we're talking about an event in and of itself or events that have happened in our lives that might uh, be a distressing or disturbing experience, but sometimes we're also talking about the response to trauma, right? Maybe those responses are psychological, physiological, emotional, uh, maybe even cognitive, right? Uh, our, our, our thoughts can be related to those things and our thought responses to some of those things. And when we think about 
distressing or disturbing experiences or events, um, those events, just like our environment, uh, in our, that, you know, our environment growing up, our environment that surrounds us can impact our lives. Right. And so when we're talking about trauma, we might be talking about the experience or experiences themselves, or we might be talking about the responses, um, that come with that as well. Is it, fair for people to think of an instance that was traumatic versus eliminating things that were traumatic outworkings of an event? You know, do, do those things get separated when it comes to to trauma or is it more nuanced than than what I'm getting at? Because typically in, in my brain, I think of trauma as a, as a thing that happened, but maybe I'm maybe I'm off on that. So when we even think about, you know, if we're talking about trauma as a diagnosis, right, post-traumatic stress disorder or another type of trauma or, or stress or disorder, there are several um, kind of pieces and themes and factors related to that. And actually the first criteria or first piece or theme or factor of that is you know, experiencing direct, directly experiencing or indirectly witnessing um, an event, right? And so a distressing or disturbing event. And the critical piece, right, is directly experiencing, right? But also indirectly witnessing or indirectly experiencing. And so there's a lot of recent research around this idea of secondary trauma and cultural trauma, historical trauma. So in instances where we might not have quote unquote directly experienced this event, um, we can still experience a tra traumatic response. And so in instances of maybe historical trauma or cultural trauma, maybe those things may have happened to our ancestors, our parents, our grandparents, maybe even community members. Um, and so we may have quote unquote, indirectly witnessed um, maybe those wounds or those experiences, and they can have effects and impact our lives as well. So that's kind of the first theme or factor related to, you know, when we're talking about a post-traumatic response. Um, so following that event or events, um, there are other things that can have ripple effects and impact our lives and be incredibly distressing. So one of those things relates to what we call intrusive symptoms. So those might emerge as maybe memories, right? Or um, as nightmares, maybe flashbacks, but also distress, right? Distress can feel incredibly intrusive. And so when we might be triggered or reminded, um, you know, we might experience that sense of kind of intrusion. Another piece is also that sense of avoidance. And, you know, we have a tendency as a society, I'll say, we don't do a great job with distress, right? With discomfort. And so a part of this response is avoiding stimuli, whether that be external or internal stimuli. When I say external, a reminder, right, or a trigger, but also internal cues, right, internal stimuli. Distress can also, um, you know, be a reminder or a trigger that we want to avoid. 
And I don't necessarily mean want. It's not necessarily a conscious, conscious choice. Oftentimes it's a visceral reaction. And so that sense of avoidance, um, you know, either avoiding reminders, avoiding things that might remind us of that experience, whether or not conscious or unconscious, is another part of a post-traumatic response. And another piece is this, you know, negative changes or negative experiences in our thoughts and our moods or emotion, right? So sometimes this looks like maybe we're feeling bad about ourselves. We have these negative appraisals, negative beliefs about who we are, how we navigate the world. Um, maybe that's causing a sense of isolation. Maybe we're feeling detached from others um, or maybe even feeling detached from the world, maybe cut off from our emotions, uh, and so that kind of negative shift, negative change following this event or events um, can can deeply impact us, right? So that's another another kind of theme, another piece. And that the last piece is this sense of what we call kind of arousal, right? So when we're talking about you know, and these are kind of buzzwords, you know, a fight, flight or fight, flight, freeze response. That's a sense okay. of arousal that's happening with us. So that those things, that's our overactive nervous system. Our nervous system is kind of moving into to hyperdrive. And those things can cause difficulty with sleep, difficulty with concentration, right? When we're mm -hmm. so keyed up on edge, how can we kind of attend to our environment, concentrate, um, so those are kind of the the pieces or themes or factors that that might relate to a you know traumatic response. So I saw on your site uh, that you do, and I, I might mess this up, so please uh, you know correct it and direct it so that I say the, get the right thing across. But um, that you are trained in evidence based and trauma informed interventions. Mm -hmm. What what is yes. that? You know what what is evidence based and uh, trauma informed interventions? Yeah. So evidence-based is exactly what it sounds like. There is evidence that supports the effectiveness of a certain treatment. So um, a lot of these treatments have been, you know, heavily researched and, you know, are recommended for PTSD or trauma and stressor related disorders. I want to be mindful too, that in many ways, these responses can be adaptive, can be typical, right? To some degree, it's very typical. Once we've experienced something intense or distressing, for us to be keyed up, for us to experience distress, right? So that's a that's a typical, that's a natural part of experiencing some anything distressing, right? Um, and also acknowledging that oftentimes our bodies, our minds, our hearts. Um, can kind of naturally move towards healing and resilience. But in other instances, these things might feel prolonged. These might, these kind of responses might last for months, years, even decades, and be incredibly distressing and impact how we navigate the world, right? Our relationship with ourselves, our relationships with other people, our relationships and how we view the world, right? And so, uh, in those instances, it's really important for us to maybe call in a pro or ask for support to maybe mitigate some of the impact that these responses have on our day-to-day -day lives. So there's a couple things that with the, the time that we have remaining, some big topics that I'd love to uh, get your take on, to, to dive into. One is how trauma 
impacts relationships, uh, the role of fear. And then also um, I'd like to get into the healing side of things and, and moving through to that and what tactics and, and what steps and that kind of thing. So before we get to the, to the end there, how do trauma related challenges, events impact interpersonal relationships? Yeah. So, so when we experience a trauma or successive traumas or, you know, distressing events that might occur in our environment and can oftentimes times impact how we view ourselves, but also how we view the world, how we view other people. And these beliefs, um, depending on what they sound like and what we're telling ourselves about the world, other people, and, and ourselves, can impact our day-to-day lives. And so generally, in terms of you know, post-traumatic responses, oftentimes we can develop beliefs, deeper beliefs, about things like control, right? Control over our environment, control over our behavior, control over what others do. Uh, Intimacy is a big one. Intimacy, vulnerability, uh, responsibility, and safety, right? And so those are all things that very, very much impact relationships, right? Vulnerability, closeness, safety. Um, And so when we develop beliefs, you know, that about those things that might not be super helpful for us, for our relationships. And sometimes when we're interacting with our, with our environment, those beliefs can be triggered, right? And I'll use just an example of boundaries, right? How often do people test our boundaries? <laughs> you were like, oh yeah, right? Because we all have that reaction, right? You know, and so that can be a pretty significant trigger to some of those beliefs and thoughts, right? Maybe my boundaries are not respected. Maybe I don't, maybe I don't know how to set boundaries, right? And so oftentimes in our relationships, we can experience those types of, of triggers that are incredibly distressing and uncomfortable. What comes to mind for you as I, as I say that I heard you were like, oh yeah, right, boundaries, because that's, we, we, we all know, we, we can all maybe even think of an instance where our boundaries were tested, our boundaries might have been a trigger. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple things that came to mind. Um, one is uh, this idea of um, trust and betrayal and the process of uh, forgiveness. My mentor, one of my mentors has said, when he was counseling me on a, on a uh, situation that happened over the last couple of years, um, you know, forgiveness can happen quickly, but building trust back up takes time. So as you were talking about boundaries, someone could unintentionally um, cross into something that they have no idea, but because I'm in, that's what got my reaction of, oh yeah, is the, how control in my life, controlling pieces of a relationship or unintentionally controlling pieces of relationship probably happens because I'm trying to protect myself from that thing happening again. And there's a tripwire that someone else hits without them even knowing. Um, so that's, that's what, uh, came, came to mind for me. Um, and then the boundaries thing, when you first said that, I thought, oh man, that's interesting because, um, if you don't have boundaries, I heard somebody uh, recently give the analogy of boundaries 
kind of like a backyard with fences and everybody's backyard has a fence or some don't, but uh, some have short fences, some, some have walls that are considered fences, but no matter what you do, the people that are next door to you, their stuff comes over into your backyard. So what kind of boundaries do you need to set up to protect yourself, that kind of thing? And I, and as you were talking, that control thing could be adding another layer of bricks to that, that wall, but then, you know, should people be able to get in, um, in relationship? So I know I went all over the place there, but one of the specific instances that I thought of was how coming back after feeling like you were betrayed, um, or, um, not taking out on somebody else that you love the, the hurt from that other person. Um, and, and, and also letting people back in because that if you're controlling it, I would think if you're controlling the narrative, then you're probably not being too vulnerable. At least I'm not, um, if I'm trying to protect myself. So lots and lots of words there, um, doc, but <laughs> feel free to dissect and push back and ask questions more about that. But that's where, that's where my, in my little, yep, that's where, uh, that came from. Yeah. So I think that that tripwire, we can really learn about what is running through our minds and the beliefs that we have by paying attention to when that tripwire is triggered, right? Or when boundaries are flowing over into our backyard. Um, And so by kind of keying into and paying attention um, to what's running through our minds, right? What are the thoughts that you know, are, are running through our minds when either our boundaries are being pushed or when we are being triggered in some way or that tripwire is being um, triggered to kind of key in and take a pause and just check in what's running through my mind, what is running through my body, what are the physiological sensations that I can key into right now, um, what are those alarm bells, right? Oftentimes when we're experiencing those alarm bells, either we don't listen to them, right? Or we run because emotions are really scary, right? Even without trauma, you know, sometimes our families of origin, maybe our culture, maybe society can tell us that emotions are not okay or rather uncomfortable or quote unquote negative emotions are not okay to express or deal with. And so that can be an added layer and have effects on how we deal with or don't deal with our emotions. Um, and so, you know, being aware of, you know, what are my triggers? What are, what's my tripwire look like, um, can have a, can be really, really helpful. So we can have that awareness of, oh, this is, this is a trigger for me. Right. And sometimes it's appropriate in our, intimate relationships to talk about those triggers. Because in those moments when we are triggered, if we're just using an intimate relationship as an example, right, oftentimes that can re- that can lead to kind of a cycle uh, in terms of maybe shutting down. And then maybe our partner shuts down or, you know, or maybe we run or maybe we react in anger. And so it can oftentimes, when we're being triggered, it can be expressed in those types of ways. And so if it's appropriate having that dialogue of, Ooh, that was a button. That was a button that didn't, that didn't, you know, I'm going to maybe have to practice my own coping right now to, to come back to homeostasis. But then coming back to it when we're feeling a little bit more comfortable, talking about triggers when we're feeling comfortable versus 
in the moment when we're feeling triggered can be a really useful strategy in our relationships to key the other into, hey, what's going on? What's going on for me? You know, um, you you asked and I, I I touched on it, but I skirted around it because it's it's a little bit of a scary thing. But the the betrayal that I'm talking about happened a long time ago uh, from a guy who was a, a mentor and uh, we'll get into all the details and stuff, but it was when you say the scenario of in an intimate relationship, my wife was a recipient of accidentally tripping that wire. So I'm, I'm remembering those conversations and I remember driving downtown in our hometown here and I don't remember if it was around the 4th of July, but it was hot out. I just remember it was hot out and we're talking and, and it was a safe moment where I wasn't, you know, keyed up, like you said, but I was apologizing and she, I said, what is wrong with me? You know, and, uh, she, she said, I don't, I said, is my heart dead or something like that? And her response was, no, I just think it's buried under a lot of snow after this. And, um, so it, it, it was a recognition, um, of how that event and, and, and that mentor, that trusted advisor, you know, he, he went off the deep end and did some really messed up stuff that just challenged my belief system and, and trajectory of, uh, uh, working at a nonprofit and, you know, can I trust these nonprofit people and the, these people that say they believe in God? And it was all this stuff that she was stepping into that she didn't realize. And so um, I'm glad to hear you say that because it's like you are reading my mail from like 14 years ago in the car around you know July um, with uh, with my wife, Beth. Uh, I think we were actually engaged at the time, but now we're married. But anyway, that is a real uh, scenario. And it, has, it took a long time and still has lingering stuff, you know, effects on, um, but going through the checkpoints, um, it took a long time for me to discover that. So I'm glad that you said also to, you know, seeking out professional help. Cause that would, that would have, that would have been very nice. Um, had I not let my pride get the best of me, um, if I would have leaned into that professional help back then, cause it took a long time to accidentally kind of back into those discovering the triggers and then, and then, uh, um, recognizing them when it was taking place versus having somebody, you know, be the benefactor of a tripwire accidental thing. So. But you mentioned the thoughts around like, you know, others being trustworthy. I mean, that's a huge common thought when we have experienced instances in which, you know, our view of the world being just being trustworthy, others being trustworthy, others having our best interest at heart, right? When those beliefs are challenged by life experience, it can be very, it can be a huge shift. It can be really altering, right? And so in moments when those buttons, right, are pressed or when that tripwire is triggered, um, those beliefs can come really floating to the surface really, really fast. And it can be overwhelming to a point where it's like, whoa, I don't even like, I, I don't even know how to move forward with this. This is really, this is really challenging, right? To navigate these waters. Um, and so those types of thoughts are really, really common following an event, a betrayal or an event that, that our beliefs have been really greatly challenged in so much of a way where it's like, Ooh, well, where do I go from here? 
in the same vein, same thought process, what role does fear play in the process of discovering and dealing with trauma? And I know that's basically as big of a question as all outdoors, but to, you know, take us down that road. So even as we, you know, think of the word fear, right, that is a, an emotional label and that can look a variety of, of different ways. But when we're talking about this sense of, of kind of like our fight, flight, freeze response, right, our central nervous system, right, our brain is sending alarm bells to our body, danger, 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 right? And that's oftentimes what's happening when we are experiencing triggers, right? Our body is actually, you know, our brain is sending signals to our body of danger, danger, danger. You, you need to prepare your body to fight, flight, or freeze, right? There is danger present. And so in those moments, right, our central nervous system is kind of on overload. And so to be able to know what that feels like in our bodies is really, really useful and important and to, to label it because oftentimes in moments when that, when our body is communicating that to us, which is a super adaptive emotion, right? Let's even take it back to hunter gathering times. If there is a predator near, right? We, let's say there's a mountain lion or not even a mountain lion back then it was probably lions or bears or, you know, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my present, right? That's a really adaptive moment for our brain to be in, you know, go, 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 danger, 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 right? But oftentimes when we are triggered in those moments, um, it feels like those emotions are coming flooding back, right? Or maybe even we feel like we're put placed back into that instance. And so alarm bells are going off, even though maybe our environment um, might be not necessarily in danger. And so to notice, right, that's like a hundred, let's just use an emotional scale for a moment of zero to a hundred and zero is pretty comfortable, right? Maybe we're feeling pretty calm. Maybe we're feeling relaxed, right? And as you move up that scale, let's say maybe 25 to 50, you're a little bit uncomfortable, you know, 50 to 75, you're pretty uncomfortable. And 75 to 100, you, those are alarm bells. That's like, you know, those are, that's the highest level of discomfort. It can be really, really useful for us to think about what each of those ranges looks like for us. Because practicing grounding, breathing is going to be super, super useful when we're lower down in those ranges, right? Maybe 25 to 50, maybe even 50 to 75. When our alarm bells, our central nervous system is reacting so strongly, let's say the 75 to 100 range, that's our highest level of discomfort. Oftentimes we think about practicing coping skills and self-care, right? When we're when that's happening, right? When we are already at the highest level of discomfort. And so it can be really, really useful to identify what each of those ranges look like, right? From zero to 25, I'm at my highest level of discomfort. Maybe my body's feeling maybe a little bit loose, maybe relaxed, maybe 25 to 50, I'm starting to notice that I'm fidgeting a little bit. Maybe that's something that's happening to me in that range. I'm a little bit you know, less comfortable. Maybe I'm tapping my foot. Maybe I'm looking around the room. Maybe I'm kind of starting to scan. Maybe my heart rate is starting to increase like just a little bit. 
And then as you move up into the higher, you know, the higher ranges, maybe 50 to 75, maybe those things feel a little bit amplified. Maybe in this range, we're starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed, maybe a little bit anxious, maybe our heart's starting to race, maybe our palms are starting to sweat. And then in that highest range of discomfort, 75 to 100, that's when maybe we're experiencing intense overwhelm, maybe intense panic. Maybe our palms are really starting to sweat. Maybe our heart rate's really starting to race really high. And there's a common misconception that we're, you know, we need to practice coping when it's already at that high of a level, right? You know, there's all this talk about burnout, right? Burnout, burnout. When we're burnt out, practice coping. But I'm going to challenge that. We need to practice coping and self-care even when we're really comfortable, right? As preventative strategies. So using, using that kind of range and, and that, that scale is going to look different for everyone, right? Fear might manifest and look differently for everyone, just as most emotions do. And so being able to identify, you know, what that range looks like for you to be able to monitor, okay, well, when is it a good time for me to practice coping, for me to practice self-care and not waiting until we're at that highest level of discomfort to maybe practice some of those things. Does the principle of boundaries overlap with this topic as well, with fear and discovering and dealing with trauma? Yeah. So, I mean, boundaries... De- I mean, definitely, right? And and oftentimes for individuals uh, who may have experienced maybe uh, households that there wasn't a lot of boundary talk or maybe didn't have boundaries or maybe successive instances in which boundaries were crossed, um, boundaries can oftentimes be a huge trigger and be an instance in which our kind of fight, flight, freeze response hits I think also being in a society where we were supposed to be yes people, right? Um, and a lot of work cultures, disciplines um, positively reinforce being yes people, right? Yes, 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 yes. And not being people who pause and monitor, hmm, do I have the bandwidth for this? I don't know, right? And being, you know, a society that really kind of emphasizes binary categories, including yes, no, right? Yes and no are binary, right? They're, that's all or nothing. You know, I would challenge that and say, you know, maybe is a boundary. When someone pushes our, let's say, I'm just even using a work example, right? Because it's something yeah, that I think we can all relate to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we get an email, hey, do you have time for that? Do, do you have time to, you know, to, to do this? I think our reaction is yes, 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 because we, you know, we're constantly thinking about how we're being evaluated and all those things. But it's really, really adaptive and helpful for us to pause and promote a culture where we can say, "Hey, uh, I want to, I want to be thoughtful about this. Let me pause and take a minute to evaluate and see if I have the bandwidth for this." Mm-hmm. That's a maybe, right? And so moving away from these yes or no, all or nothing dichotomies and moving more towards that gray area of, ooh, I can say maybe. And when I'm saying maybe, that's not a no, it's not a yes. It's a, hey, I want to I be mindful about this. I want to be thoughtful about this. Let me simmer on this for a minute and get back to you. 
that can be a really helpful way to, to evaluate that and to pause and see, do I have the bandwidth for that? I'm assuming that there are many people listening in and, and they're like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's me. I think that's me. on the whether nose, on the nose, <laughs> whether it's, whether it's the boundaries thing or I need to breathe or yeah, I think that might be a traumatic experience. And that's kind of a category that's being opened up in their, their mind. Like, it was for me with this betrayal thing. I thought it was just this guy went off the rails and I got to just deal with it. And it took someone else saying that's, that's kind of traumatic what you went through. So let's, let's assume there's some people that are out there like that. What would you suggest people do if they think that they might need some help, some healing in this, you know, the specific direction on beginning this healing process, you know, what, what would, what would you do? What would you say? Well, first I would say we learn so much from our life experiences. We are the experts on ourselves, right? And so pausing and thinking about what has been helpful in, ha in me navigating this up until now, right? What has been helpful and maybe unhelpful because we also learn a lot of things from what we don't do well too, right? In terms of, you know, hey, what has helped me overcome and navigate some of the challenges that I have experienced in my own life? Because those oftentimes are coping skills. And, you know, sometimes we're not even consciously engaging in coping, but like to pause and think about and take stock of, hey, well, what are, what are my strengths? What have I done well? What are the things that I have done to navigate challenges, right? So being able to pause and acknowledge and honor and realize your own resilient skills and what has helped you navigate challenges is, is already just a really, really useful strategy. But also in bringing into awareness and acknowledging, you know, the things that have impacted you, validating that, you know, don't compare your own traumas to the traumas of others, right? So being able to acknowledge and validate your own experiences of hey, that was really challenging for me. That was really a difficult experience for me, right? And not placing value on it, not judging it. So, and, and asking for support, you know, from others, maybe drawing strength from our community, you know, connecting with like-minded individuals that we feel safe with and might understand our experience can be another really useful way. And, and oftentimes we're really, we, as a society, we can also be hesitant to ask for support, right, from others. Um, and so in instances where we might do that, I would also encourage folks to know what it looks like in others to need help, right? How do we know when others around us might be silently struggling? And how do we approach them when they are struggling, right? And whether that be a peer, a colleague, a friend, a family member, a community member, right? It's always really useful to know um, what does that look like, right? And how do I approach, uh, approach them? And in those moments too, knowing what resources are available in the community. Sometimes um, we need to call in a pro and whether that look like, you know, a therapist, a psychologist, maybe, um, you know, talking to a spiritual leader in our community, maybe that feels more approachable. Um, you know, calling in a pro that's, you know, trained in maybe dealing with some of these things can, um, sometimes that's what we need, right? Not always, right? But but sometimes that is, you know, what we need. I saw on your, on your uh, site, uh, Guided med Meditations. Um, what are some other 
holistic approaches um, that you would point people to that that can link to this process of healing? Um, and I don't know if there are others, so I'm leaving that kind of open, but I don't know if there's food or exercise or things like that. Yeah. So for, you know, in pausing and thinking about as an individual, what is helpful for me in terms of calming my central nervous system? And sometimes that does look like, you know, deep breathing and meditation. I will say this, not maybe that's not for everyone, right? Sometimes sitting in the present moment can be incredibly distressing and triggering in and of itself. So meditation and ground and meditation like that might not be for everyone, but for those who want to give it a whirl and try it, just try, you know, a three to five minute one. We want to also be realistic with the goals that we're setting. You know, oftentimes when we're setting goals, let's say we have a goal for for weight loss or going to the gym and we haven't been to the gym in the year, we go, ah, I'm going to go to the gym 60 minutes a day for seven days, right? But that's not going to happen, right? Yeah, nobody does that. <laughs> <laughs> nobody does that. Yeah, right? And so like just if that's something that you feel called to try, there are so many different um, apps uh, available or even like online, like trying like a three to five minute breathing exercise or guided meditation or guided imagery can be a great way to see like, oh, is this something that I want to add to my toolbox or is this something that I want to jump back into, get my feet wet with? That's a, that's kind of a great place, um, to start. Um, things like, you know, of course, exercise and, you know, consulting your doctor about the appropriateness of what that might look like. You know, exercise is always a great way to kind of get those, uh, those juices and endorphins uh, flowing in our bodies, a great way to kind of uh, practice more preventative uh, self-care, calming of the nervous system. And of course, you know, you know, food um, and, and eating, you know, healthy, whatever that looks like. Um, you know, is also a, a great way to just manage overall health and, and stress levels too. Um, you know, another thing that I include in, in my own kind of personal repertoire is acupuncture. So that's something that uh, is really helpful for me. Um, you know, and of course, being someone who has had, has been, was scared of needles earlier on in life, that was definitely a plunge into the deep end. Um, but definitely something that, that can be a helpful kind of holistic strategy as well. And things like energy healing, massage therapy, those are, those are all things that might, might be included if available and accessible, um, uh, things that could, could also be useful. Is there, is there a stigma around the topic? Uh, like this topic that we're talking about, it feels like there's kind of a, uh, I don't know if stigma is even the right word, but around mental health and trauma and that kind of thing, like do you, from your perspective, does it seem like that? I think a, a lot of times our, our society and maybe even, you know, other cultures in which we connect with, there is a kind of micro message and sometimes even macro message to just, you know, kind of not talk about things, right? Um, you know, I've done uh, a lot of, my research surrounding, you know, second and third generation Holocaust survivors and how family communication uh, can be a source related to uh, how things are transmitted generationally. And so, you know, when we think about it, communication can be a huge, huge resilience factor in families and communities, right? How do we talk about things? How do we talk about emotions? 
Um, how do we talk about when we're struggling, right? And um, what that looks like, and that can look so, so, so different. There's not like a one size fits all to, you know, how we can feel validated in our experience and, you know, communicate with others. But, you know, feeling feeling heard when we're struggling and feeling validated when we're struggling can be such, it can be so impactful, right? To have someone to feel heard in our struggle. Um, I, I would say though, as a society, oftentimes we don't do a great job at listening, right? Um, and keying into some of those things. So, you know, again, as individuals, as community members, it can be really helpful to be on the lookout to know and see when others might be silently struggling and know when others might need an ear to listen or need help with resources and connecting, maybe calling in a pro. Um, that's why it can be really useful to look at this more as like, like a community approach of how can we support one another? How can we support each other? Because so often we do have individuals in our communities that might not feel really comfortable sharing or speaking up or speaking out when they might be struggling. And uh, in a world that is always pushing for first place, for higher return on investment in the business world, and, and there's that balance of, yep, we got to make a profit. That's why we're in business. But also holding on with the other hand that there are people involved. So so what you just challenged, is, challenged us with is really, really good. Um, and this, this conversation was heavy. <laughs> I didn't expect to share as much as I did. I don't typically do that, but I'm glad for this conversation. It was so, so good. Um, I'm thank you again for being with us. And if you would, I would love for you to close us out, please. So where would you direct people from here? You know, how would you like to end today's conversation? Maybe even closing as we started, right. And I'm going to invite uh, people to kind of take a minute, um, if appropriate, right, um, to, you know, not when we're driving, <laughs> uh, but like kind of take a minute and just kind of check in with yourself, um, you know, maybe take a few deep breaths and notice what happens, um, you know, ground, ground yourself, um, connect with your experience and take a deep breath and, um, you know, there are people who understand like you, you are not alone in your experience. Um, you know, and there are people there to, to hear you, to listen to you, to support you, uh, along the way. And that can oftentimes, you know, asking for support, asking for help can be so challenging. And so, you know, pre when, when we reach out, you know, and, and when, as people, we can also be keyed into and, and know when others might need support. And so as we as we close, like maybe checking in with yourself and um, doing a quick body scan. We talked about that emotional scale, right? Zero to 100, where are we at? And how can I nourish myself, refill my cup um, in a way that's going to be that's going to be useful for me? But I wanted—I want to just kind of pause and, and express. I know you mentioned you shared quite a bit today. I want to share appreciation and gratitude uh, for you uh, in doing that. Well, you're welcome, and I—I—I uh, I, I try to practice what I preach. And um, 
it's a, it's a weird, vulnerable, awkward thing to do that. Um, cause this is not typically how we do podcasts, but you're, you're welcome. I, I'm so grateful, um, genuinely grateful that you were here. Um, we believe that there's so much more at stake than increasing profits and the whole person matters. Um, and so thank you for this episode, for this conversation. And, um, I have a, I have a feeling I'll have to reach back out to you to have you back on in the future. Be more than happy to. Thank you, Dr. Melly. Okay. So takeaways and action items. I've got one takeaway and one kind of long action item. Takeaway, you must acknowledge a wound before you can heal it. Action item, there are things in life you weren't designed to carry the weight of. If you discover trauma that needs healing, seek help. Talk to someone you trust and do some research. There is help out there for you. Next time we hear about family dynamics, boundaries, and empathy. Perfect timing as we step into the holiday season. If you thought of someone during this episode and it's appropriate to do so, please send this episode to them with a note of encouragement. Now we have dozens of other episodes that will aid in your growth as a leader. If you follow us or subscribe in whatever platform you're using, you'll have access to all of them. I can't wait to be with you again soon, but until then, from all of us at The Impact of Leadership, thanks for listening. 